0: In his gospel account, Luke retells the stories and teachings of Jesus. We see a picture of the Holy Spirit at work fulfilling the father's redemption plan through the life and ministry of his son. He reminds us that the gospel is a matter of the heart, the inner person, not mere external religion. The gospel is a call to reevaluate everything in the world according to God's perspective, not our own. To value mercy over justice, humility over prestige, to value favor with God over favor with people, it's a message of peace, an offering of forgiveness, and an invitation to enter the kingdom of God. The Gospel of Luke. Okay, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And um, let me just uh, bring it up here. Luke twenty-four thirteen, is where we're going to start. We're actually going to start in 24-9, but only for a bit of a, a review. Uh, this weekend is called Palm Sunday. And uh, most churches are having a special Palm Sunday service. Uh, we've already been looking at the last week of Jesus' life before the cross, which included a study on Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey with huge crowds worshiping and joyously waving palm branches in anticipation of what might happen next. Many were thinking Jesus would reveal himself as Messiah and take Jerusalem away from the Romans. But instead, he surprises them, taking the time to make a whip like rope, and he drives the greedy money changers from the temple and makes it clear that this place, that therein was a house of prayer and that it's his father's house. This ignites the religious leaders to finally find a way to get rid of Jesus once and for all. So, we have studied Jesus' last Passover and arrest and betrayal by Judas, plus the sham trials convicting Jesus of crimes that he was innocent of, and then uh, the crucifixion ended in Jesus' death, erasing the hope of his followers. Two weeks ago... The sermon ended with the phrase to be continued. And last week, we saw what continued meant Jesus rose from the dead. We also studied uh, the process when he died, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret believer but no more, uh, was able to get him permission and get him down from the cross with the help of Nicodemus, who was a secret believer but no more, and they took Jesus and they carefully wrapped uh, cloths all over his uh, battered and beaten and bloody and uh, lifeless body, and they placed him in Joseph's tomb, which is kind of ironic because... This is the tomb that Joseph purchased for his own body to be laid, but Jesus is replacing Joseph in this case. In more, in more ways than one in this tomb. At the same time, there were some women from Galilee who had followed Jesus for some time, and they were also at the cross and saw the horrific thing that went on there, and they followed uh, Joseph and Nicodemus and probably a couple of the soldiers had helped too, and they saw where the tomb was laid, and they made sure they knew where that was. And then since the Sabbath was coming, this was Friday night, just to get a picture of it, Uh, Friday night ends into the Sabbath at six o'clock in the evening, and we were getting close to that time. And so the women saw where Jesus was laid. They hurried back to where they were staying, and they started to put together some spices uh, that would help the body not decompose so fast. But they had to stay during the Sabbath, that's the Saturday, until that was over before they could come back to the tomb. And then when the first light came on Sunday morning, that was resurrection day, uh, they headed to the tomb, talked on the way there about how they were going to, how were we going to get into the tomb with that big stone that we could never remove. But to their surprise, when they got there, the stone was removed. No one else was there. They went in and looked, and Jesus' body wasn't there, but they saw the cloths. They looked like Jesus had just disappeared. (laughs) They were still in the same, they were flattened out, but still in the same space as they would have been when the body was there. And then all of a sudden, two angels appeared to to them and asked the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. And they were just clearly blown away by this. I mean, I don't think we could even enter into uh, how they must have felt at all. And then if you look in your Bibles, we studied it last week, but we'll just go through it here, verse 9 in chapter 24, the first thing they did is they came back from the tomb. Now, I can't exaggerate their excitement. They're hurrying back, and they told all that happened to the 11, that's the apostles minus Judas. And then to all the others, there were probably over a hundred people there besides, and they're, all, they're explaining, we went to the tomb, and, the, and it was empty, and we looked in, and the cloths were there, and these angels came, and they said that he's not there, why are you looking for the living among the dead, and, and they were just so excited. And then in verse 10, we're told who these women were exactly. It was Mary Magdalene, Jesus had driven seven demons out of her, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. And the others—that's all. The others mean the other women that were with them, who uh, and the others with them who told all of this to the apostles. Now, here's a surprise, really—not really. It really isn't a surprise. If if we were to somehow appear back in that time with all these women being excited, we wouldn't be a bit surprised at what happened next. But they did not. Who's they? Well, the apostles. They did not believe the women. Why? Well, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And we learned last week that nonsense is a medical term. Remember, Luke was a doctor who wrote the book of Luke. And the medical term, it described someone who was sort of out of their minds. They were not linked to reality. And then, so they didn't believe them. But, verse 12, Peter, and we know John was with him. However, they got up and ran to the tomb. At least we were going to go and see. And bending over, he, that is Peter, <clears throat> saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, the disciples clearly expected Jesus to free them from the Roman yoke. They had given up their careers. They were willing to risk their lives and even die, as Peter explained. They wanted to obtain victory over Rome while following Jesus. Now the question becomes, why did the Jesus movement not end when Jesus was placed in that tomb to the horror and disappointment of his followers? And in one word resurrection. You see, I know you know this, but without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there's no such thing as Christianity. Jesus himself said, there is no other way to heaven except through me, he said. He said that he is the way and the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. So now we move on to verse 13, and we see that in the same day, verse 13, two of them, now two of them who were there. Two of them, the people along with the apostles, two of them were now on a road called the Emmaus Road. One was named Cleopas. We don't have any idea who the other one was. Some speculate it was his wife, Mary. I don't see any benefit. I don't know. There's two of them. That's all that matters. Two of them were on this road. And so here it is two of them who heard all the women said and all that had happened and had all the expectations of the disciples uh, of what Jesus was doing and that he was the Messiah and all of that, uh, two of them, verse 13, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other, probably pretty animated talking, about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, walking along the road with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now, the first thing you need to know is that when you were walking any place in that land, there was always dangers of robbers. So normally, people walked in groups and not alone. So it would not be unusual for a lone walker to join the nearest group. And so when Jesus join this group, the first thing they would think of is they're, they're a little bit safer. There's not just two, now there's three. And, and he would be thinking if he was just a normal person walking along, well, I'll be safe here because I've got at least two other people that are gonna help me. So that would not be an unusual thing to happen. But then verse 16 becomes a really important verse to understand. Verse 16 says, but they, the two on the Emmaus Road, were kept from recognizing Jesus. This is a divine kept from. We must never forget that we are the created ones and God is the creator. What an insult it is to deny our creator or to claim we're in control of anything without God's help. The reality is we cannot understand anything unless our creator, who's our father in heaven, reveals it to us. John the Baptist was once asked about his ministry compared to Jesus' ministry. The idea behind the question was, are you not concerned that Jesus' ministry is becoming larger than yours? His church is getting bigger than yours. And they're expecting that he'll be jealous. Yesterday I was riding my bike and I went by this particular church. I won't mention the name of the big church with the big tower that you can see from (laughs) I-75, but there were thousands of people in the fields, cars parked for miles. Cars lined up trying to get parking spots. I know Scott, the pastor. He's from Canada. That's why that's such a great church. He's from Canada, same as me. And uh, and here's this incredible crowd of people. You know, we never get crowds that big. But John answered. Actually, this sounds to me like my wife's voice. I'll explain. John answered, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven, John 3.27. My wife, who I love dearly, says to me, the reason that your church is the size it is and his church is the size it is is that you couldn't handle his church, so God gave you this church. (laughs) (laughs) Do we realize that all we know ultimately comes from God. Now, now I can imagine somebody saying, yes, Pastor Carl, I agree with you, that's true, but I worked hard at what I know. I read books. I spent hours in classrooms and years of experience on the job, and that has given me skills and knowledge. Right, I agree. And none of that would be possible if God had not created you so as to be able to understand what you have read and had given the ability to perform the skills that make up what you do and who you are. So what we learn from this is, and I know we're sort of off task here, but we'll be back. So don't dare compare yourself to others. But don't be lazy. Don't be selfish. Share with others. Work is unto the Lord. That's a Bible verse. Study to show yourself approved, another Bible verse, and be thankful for what God, your creator, has given you, which is a picture of a Christian all through the Bible. These two disciples on the Emmaus Road were prevented by God from knowing who this man walking with them was. So right away, he could hear that they were really into it in conversation. In verse 17, now, I want to try to keep us on that road. We're going to be on and off it, but I want to keep us on that road the rest of the sermon. Uh, he asked them, verse 17, this is Jesus asking them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. The way it's written, they stopped, and their faces were downcast. They were depressed. There's a saying I like. The height of a wave determines the depth of the trough. You especially know that if you're a surfer. (laughs) We must be very careful when we experience God in a spectacular way or when we go through a spiritually difficult time. It's after these times that the reality of our faith is proven. This is when we must learn to persevere and walk by faith and not turn back while in the trough. These two on the road were downcast. They were depressed. They had experienced a very difficult time. They had seen the crucifixion. And uh, as disciples of Jesus, they now were walking away from Jerusalem, the very place they really should have stayed One of them, verse 18 tells us, named Cleopas, asked Jesus. Now remember, they're depressed, so I could just try to imagine their voice. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, what things? And he said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, it says they replied, they probably said it together, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over. By the way, that's a Greek word pronounced paradidomi, it's a powerful word, it's a word of very great, uh, it's a, actually it's a terrible word because it's, it's a violent word. He was handed over. He was sold up the river. He was falsely accused. He was handed over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. They were probably almost in tears in saying it. But we had hoped. The word hope means expectation. We expected. That was our hope. That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We can't live without hope. And they had lost their hope. But but they didn't realize it, but Jesus, in fact, had redeemed Israel, uh, but not politically as they thought. They had not seen Jesus from a spiritual perspective. The word redeem, by the way, has the idea of ransom in it. Jesus was the ransom for us. And so the question is, how did Jesus redeem Israel? Well, in Luke chapter 22, at the last supper, at the Passover, that last Passover that we studied just about three sermons ago, uh, the last cup of the Passover is they finished the meal. It reads this way. In the same way, after the supper, this is the, uh, the, the Passover supper, he, that is Jesus, took the cup, the last fourth cup, saying this cup is the new covenant. A covenant is a promise between God and his people. In my blood. Now, when the day of atonement came, they sprinkled the sin of it mostly an innocent lamb. It could be other things, but an innocent lamb. Jesus was the lamb of God. It took away the sin of the world. And so uh, this in my blood is the death of Jesus, which is poured out for you. That's the cross. That's what Jesus was actually saying to them, that he's the lamb. He's the one that is going to redeem Israel. Now, what the cross... Redemption was procured for Israel. Actually, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, regardless of their ethnicity, didn't matter, Jew or Greek, South African, American, Canadian, anyone. And verse 21 still reads, and what is more, remember, we're back on the road here, the Emmaus Road, they're talking to Jesus. And what is more, it's the third day Since all this took place, this is what you call irony. Irony. The third day that this took place. To them, redemption is impossible now because Jesus was permanently dead. So they thought. Luke emphasizes the third day because Jesus mentioned in the hearing of the disciples that he would rise from the dead three days after crucifixion. And and Jesus' followers are puzzled over this. Uh, That is why Cleopas is mentioning it. It is the third day. Jesus is dead. His body is missing. Cleopas is thinking it must have something to do with what Jesus said about rising from the dead on the third day. But we have no clue what has happened to his body. His body's gone. And then he's still speaking. We're still on the road to Emmaus, talking to Jesus, in addition, verse 22, in addition, Cleopas says, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Now, what Luke is trying to communicate here is that the disciples were not predisposed to believe Jesus would bodily rise from the dead. Now look at verse 24. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. That was Peter and also uh, we know John. But they did not see Jesus. Now Jesus' response here is surprising. I mean, they're depressed. He's standing listening patiently to them. And then he says in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You realize what he's saying, sort of to put it in our thought, it's like somebody saying to you, don't you ever read your Bible? (laughs) Haven't you ever listened to any of the sermons? I mean, in this case where they are, you guys have been to synagogue all these years. Uh, you've heard all of the teaching of the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms and all of that, and you didn't get it? And even more than that, in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, this, this happened more than once, but it reads, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets, about me, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus' self-designation will be fulfilled. And he said that to them over and over again, and they said that to other people too. It's important to realize that we have only the smallest percentage of all Jesus taught his disciples during the years of his ministry. But it would not be until the Holy Spirit came that the church had put together the writings of the prophets and Moses and the Psalms that clearly spoke of Jesus' life and death and resurrection long before any of it happened. And so Jesus still speaking to this couple. They're kind of back on their heels at this moment. In verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? and then enter his glory? He could have added, and he will in a, in a moment. He'll actually add that, even though we won't read the exact quote. Uh, he, he's really saying, don't you know uh, Psalm 22? Uh, don't you know Psalm 110? Uh, don't you know uh, the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah? And he could go on. In other words, Jesus had to die before he could enter his glory. And to enter His glory describes the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And this had to happen in payment, in ransom for our sin, to redeem us. A couple of verses. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a, what's the word? Ransom for many. Or one that you must have memorized by now. I've quoted it so often, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering. That's the ransom for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. And you know what I like to do with the verse. The one who is absolutely righteous because unrighteous. So that the one who is unrighteous, that's us, becomes righteous. At least in God's sight. That's what the cross is all about. Now, verse 27, if I was asked the question, you can go back to one incident in the whole Bible, which one would you go to? Uh, Well, I'm a Bible teacher. Verse 27 and on. I would like to be there on the road and to hear this sermon from Jesus. I believe they're probably moving on again now. And it says, and beginning with Moses... That's the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, uh, And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the 12 prophets at the end of our Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all of Scriptures concerning himself. Oh, gosh, I'd like to hear that. Now, there would not have been time for Jesus to teach every passage in the Hebrew Scriptures. We understand that. But the overview would have been very revealing. Now, this is important, especially in our day right now, in evangelical Christianity. Since Jesus told us he is mentioned throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we today must be diligent in finding him in the Old Testament also very important. There's a habit today of some to get rid of, or don't need the Old Testament anymore. I'm going to be doing a series on Wednesdays in the book of Daniel, and I'm always going through the Old Testament. I've taught every verse in the Old Testament. We must know it because it tells us about our redemption, and it makes the New Testament come alive, or vice versa if you want to say the New Testament makes the Old Testament come alive. Well, now, verse 28, we're on the road, and as they approached the three of them, the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on. That's why I think they were moving while he was doing this, as if uh, he were going farther. Notice that if they had not stopped him, Jesus would have gone on. But, verse 29 tells us, they urged him strongly. Literally, they were begging him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. They wanted to hear more. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now Jesus never stays where he's not wanted. This is what I call a man in the mirror moment for all of us to think about. The question, have you ever looked in the mirror and talked to yourself? (laughs) I've read of people that have done that. The question is, am I inviting Jesus into my world daily, or does my life revolve around my relationship with him? If it doesn't, we may find ourselves in a very dry place. Christians have the unique opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit who resides in us and teaches us the scriptures. So here's Jesus sitting at the table with them, and they're getting a meal ready somehow. And it tells us in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, this first of all reminds us of our communion services. One of the purposes of communion is to have our eyes open to who Jesus is for us. And that's what we'll be doing on Friday, Good Friday. But look what happened here, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now, some say, and I think it's a possibility that they saw the nail marks in his wrist and all of that. It's possible they did, but God opened their eyes, and immediately he disappeared from their sight. Um, Alexander McLaren was a Baptist preacher about 130 or 40 years ago. You can buy all his sermons and volumes. They're really worth reading. He has a lot of great one-liners. And I like what he says at this point in his sermon on this. He says, he has gone from our sight that he may be seen by our faith. We're to be men and women of faith. The picture painted for us is that we come to know Jesus by faith. Faith becomes sight through what the Scriptures teach about Jesus. The Bible actually says that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the apostle Paul wrote, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. That's what we're doing right now. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. The whole Bible's about Christ, the teaching of the Bible. Jesus had already told his disciples that he was leaving them and that it is better for them if he left. And he then goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit who will come in his place. We see it in John chapter 16, verse 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is speaking to the disciples not too long before he's uh, going to be heading right down to the cross. But now I am going to him who sent me, he said. And none of you ask me where are you going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Greek word parakletos. It means, means the one who comes alongside to help us, the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us courage and understanding. And so uh, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So in a more than just a sense, I was going to say in a sense, more than that, in reality, when you become a Christian, you have the helper within you who will teach you the scriptures as you study and read and pray. Another point about resurrection. Jesus rose bodily. He ate fish with the disciples and was able to come and go at will. I don't know if we'll be able to do that during the millennial kingdom, but I hope so. It'll be great fun. (laughs) But back to our Emmaus friends. So here they are. Jesus has just disappeared, and they're at the supper table, we'll say. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. This burning is the Spirit's conviction that occurs during the teaching of the Scriptures. The early church was committed to regularly teaching the Word of God, especially the Hebrew Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, which we spent a lot of time on recently, it contains a confession found in the early church. Notice the repeated phrase. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, writes to us now, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is the most important thing. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was Then, By the way, we right away, when we think of Scriptures, it's a habit for most of us. We think of the New Testament. There wasn't a New Testament. He's talking about the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, that's the apostles. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's just a euphemism for they've died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, that's the apostle Paul. Our commitment... To understanding the whole Bible is essential to our spiritual growth. We all have the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the Scriptures. But God has placed teachers, men and women and other, in different places of the spiritual gift of teaching. We've got a lot of people in our church with the spiritual gift of teaching. And that's the gift I hope I'm exercising right now. He's placed that. That's a gift he's put in, given to us in the church so we can be exhorted as we receive the word of God while meeting together to understand God's will for us, especially corporately. When we gather together, there's a special anointing of the word of God that doesn't happen otherwise. That's why it's important to meet regularly, to take notes, to check out what is taught and obey what is right. And then in verse 33, okay, we're still back at Emmaus now. Yeah, they haven't left yet. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, seven miles. They broke their walking seven-mile record. And they were so excited. They were, there they found the 11, and those with them assembled together. They had dispersed, but now they're assembled together. And they could hear what was being said. And a matter of fact, I can imagine the two coming up. And as they're coming up, someone said, it's true. The Lord has risen. And he's even appeared to Peter, to Simon. Now, the 11 now believe in the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to Peter. They had all split up, and now they were together again because of the resurrection. This appearance to Peter is not described anywhere in the Bible. Nevertheless, this is an encouraging fact. Peter denied Jesus three times, but now Jesus has clearly restored Peter. Christian, there is nothing you can do that precludes repentance and restoration. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all that we've done, all of our sin. That's talking to Christians. We need an ongoing, we need that ongoing in our lives. Jesus told Peter during the Passover meal that he would deny Jesus three times. And he did. And it was a horrible experience. But Jesus also told Peter that he was praying for him. It's in Luke twenty-two 32, you'll remember it. But I have prayed for you, Simon. This is at the Last Supper. That your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter was prepared to be a leader in the early church. And he was later instructed by Jesus to feed the sheep. We're sheep, we need to be fed, all of us, including me. And along with James and John and later Paul, he became one of the leaders in the early church and the first evangelist at Pentecost. Then the two finally got to say what happened. Verse 35. And then they, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And that's why, and I think it's, it's, I think it's true, that's why I, I do agree that I'm sure they saw the marks. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "Shalom, peace, be with you." Now, this is almost understatement. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now we have to try, at least. It's impossible, but to put ourselves in this situation. I mean, you remember uh, the incident where Jesus walked out on the water in a storm, and they saw him and they screamed because they thought they had uh, seen a ghost. Because nobody can walk on water. People don't just appear. I've read some liberal commentators that say, probably what happened is that there was a hole in the roof and Jesus let himself down and surprised them. No, no, uh uh-uh. No, no, he, he appeared. And they were startled. And then he said to them, in verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? It's sort of the same thing that he said to the two on the Emmaus Road. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And I'll guarantee you that they touched him. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, joy, what's that mean? Oh. First, when my mother died, I was a new Christian. She was definitely a Christian. I'd become one, and I actually did the, uh, the uh, funeral service, memorial service. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, a, actually, a Pentecostal pastor in town had gotten a hold of me. Somebody said, you need to go and talk to, this, to Dixon, or he'll go on and on and on and on. And, uh, and so he, he, he sat me down and gave me my first lesson. He literally come to see me, and he says, uh, at a memorial service, a 20-minute sermon is just almost too much. I mean, uh, so you need to get your message across. So I did a fairly short sermon. I got up beside the, the, my mother, the casket, and I banged my hand on the casket. I saw him cringe. I guess you were supposed to do that. I said, just want you to know my mother isn't here. It's just her body. And I thought later, I said a lot of other things I shouldn't have said, but uh, it was a small town that I grew up in, and I knew everybody there. And, uh, and so uh, I thought about it later, and I thought, you know, if my mother all of a sudden appeared to me and spoke to me, I would recognize the voice and be absolutely amazed, but then I wouldn't believe it. I mean, especially today. This must be this AI thing they're talking about. You know, and so they just couldn't, they just couldn't grasp it. It was beyond their thinking ability. So Jesus said, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Notice, broiled, not fried. (laughs) If you look up our statement of faith, all food should be broiled, not fried. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the same as saying in all the Hebrew Scriptures. And then he opened their minds. You remember chapter earlier, verse 16, where they didn't recognize Jesus. Now he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And he told them, this is what is written in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, not just Israel. That's what they were thinking. It was all about them. It was all about Israel. To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. You are, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. It sounds like if you know your Bible, you know it, you're know you thinking, well, this is the same as the first chapter of the book of Acts. That's right, because book of Acts is, is book two of the two books, Luke, Acts. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you are witnesses of these things. And I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Now, well, most of us know he's talking about the Holy Spirit, But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when the Holy Spirit came, the church just exploded into the culture and around the world even still today. Now, verse 50. We come to the end here. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. This is a little bit of a picture of the reality of the resurrection. He'd already said, "Look at my feel my body." I ate the fish, but now he was walking with them for a mile or two to the Mount of Olives, and so he's walking along, just talking like they were used to for the last three years. All these people had seen him over that amount of time while, while he was preaching in fields and all over the place. So now he's just walking along with them. And he led them out, of, and then he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, we see this in Acts chapter 1 also, he left them and was taken up into heaven, and then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I mean, is that an understatement? Wow. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, we have been sent out to worship God. Our whole life is to be a worship of God. We've been sent out to rescue the lost, disciple one another, grow together in the faith, the faith that gives us freedom from the power of sin and a new ability to to experience forever joy, forever joy, joy now and forever. The Apostle Paul, to live is Christ, to die is better yet. It's an explosion of the joy that we have now. I believe one of the most important messages for us this morning is to understand the Scriptures. I am a believer in Jesus because the Bible tells me so. Why did Cleopas and Cleopas' friend believe? Because Jesus told them the Bible says it so. Uh, Why did all these disciples finally believe? Because Jesus told them the Bible says it's so. The life-changing truth we need to believe is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. And especially at this time of year, you know, I don't go much for statistics, but I don't, the numbers don't matter, but apparently there's more people go to church at Easter in the world than any kind of thing that has ever brought people together. And I think it's true. Uh, I have a neighbor that never misses Easter, but no other time. So we have an opportunity not just to invite people to church, that's good, and we should do that, but we have an opportunity to tell people about what Easter is really all about. And that's the Great Commission, that's what Jesus sent us out to do, that's what we're supposed to do, and we do it in two ways. One, we do it by the way we live, and secondly, by what we tell them. We must tell others about Jesus and our lives need to back that up. And if we're submitted to the spirit of God and to the obedience of the scriptures, then our lives will back it up. People will know that we are different. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for all the scriptures. I thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son to die on that cross so that No one ever has to go to hell, but we can all go to heaven. You made it very, very clear uh, through those that represented you on this earth that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, when I think of you weeping over Jerusalem because the people wouldn't do what God had asked them to do, I know that he's still weeping somewhat saying to the church, Please tell people that anyone who will give their lives to Jesus Christ will be accepted and saved. Anyone. And Jesus said that was so, so it is so. And so, Father, I just pray, if there's anyone here, or anyone watching who doesn't yet know Jesus, and you're curious at this time of the year, you've come to church, maybe somebody's already brought you uh, here or you're watching online for the first time or a couple of times, you must respond. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that he was crucified and he rose from the dead, if we believe that, then uh, we'll be saved. And the Holy Spirit will come into our lives and we'll know that's happened and our lives will start to change at that moment. And there's nothing that you could have done uh, in your past or be doing in your present that can keep that from being real if you'll humble yourself and come to know Jesus. So Father, I just pray that if anybody is here hasn't done that that they do that. And then they would come and uh, tell me they did it or they'd phone the number on the screen and i'll get back to them as soon as i can and and i i just so much father i want to see so many more people saved and then help us as we go out into this easter season into this easter weekend help us to tell as many as we can about the lord jesus christ it's in his name we pray amen